Hello and welcome back. We had some interesting discussions today with ladies about their core beliefs and it's all, it always an, uh, amazes me again that an exercise that is so simple can reveal such deep truths about who we are that we didn't even know about and that just by a simple writing exercise we can inform ourselves and gain awareness of ideas that are actually going on within us all the time but which we simply are not often aware and one lady mentioned that when she wrote out her blockbuster chart she found that she was very hopeful and very optimistic but that she actually wasn't davening for all of the things on that list she said she davened but she noticed that davening for these things that were difficult for her was not something that she was in the habit of doing and she said that was revealing because she thinks of herself as somebody who does daven who was always talking to Hashem but when it came to asking about these issues that was something that she found she wasn't doing and she had that it, when, it, when it stared at her out of the paper she understood that this is something that had to be changed and she said that I'd said that if you find that you're not davening for something it's either because you don't believe in tefillah or you don't believe in your own tefillah and she said that Taka over the years with her understanding that women are potter from tefillah but she had sort of understood that she was potter from tefillah in a certain way but I just want to, to stress that it's so important the tefillah of a, of a woman the tefillah of women in Klal Yisrael and the tefillah of a, a wife on behalf of her husband and the tefillah of a woman on behalf of her children we know that Rachel Emenu whose Mokom Kvurai I'm zeichet to pass by every time I drive to Yerushalayim and back I, I can see Kevur Rachel and I offer up a prayer towards Kevur Rachel and try and visit whenever I can and daven for for us all Be'ezus Hashem and we know that there is the tefillah of Rachel Emenu that is that aroused Hashem to take us out of Galus and Rachel Mavakel Bonaire, Rachel crying for her children, the, the tears of her mommy, and again we're talking about tears of hope, tears of longing. The tears of a mother are extremely powerful. It's the story is told, I believe it's the Sfas Emes. If I'm if I've got the wrong Gary Rebbe, somebody can please uh, correct me. But one of the previous Gary Rebbe's uh, was married a second time and his his wife or his wife was married a second time. I'm not, again, I'm not sure of the details over here. But the wife was married a second time, had a son from her first marriage, who was drafted into, I believe it was the Russian army. And she was very concerned that he was being drafted, and she kept sending in shlichim and, and mentioning herself to the Rebbe that he should daven, and that he should be poel, that her son should, should not have to go into the army. And every time... He would send a message back, she should daven, she should continue davening. At some point when it was almost, the, the date was due, and he was almost going to have to go in, she sent another shalech, please, that the Rebbe should be poor, the Rebbe should act, that the son shouldn't have to go in. And the Rebbe sent back to his wife with the gabai, the ptor, the letter that he was already exempt from going to the army. And later she asked the Rebbe, if, if you knew that it was here, 
Why didn't you tell me? Why did I have to go through such agmas nefesh all those months when you already had the exemption in your hand? And he said, Mama das Begin, the mother needs to daven. And the tefillahs of the mommy on behalf of her child are never going to go to waste. They're going to hit the mark that Kakosh Baruch Hu stores such tefillahs. And we need to continue davening. And it's even worse not knowing something in order that we should continue davening because every one of those tefillahs is something important. So, the, again, part of our problem in our generation, which we're going to be addressing in the coming classes, is that we live under the shadow of perfectionism. We believe that things need to be perfect. This is different from aspiring to perfection. We need to aspire to grow and to have she'ifas to improve ourselves. But I believe it was Yecheshka Levenstein who said that just as we have to have a she'ifa to grow, we have to have sipuk satisfaction from even our present spiritual level. We mustn't denigrate our own status right now, even as we aspire to grow. We tend to have a very negative view of anything that is not perfect. But this is the opposite of the way Chazal and our Chachamim looked at things. They appreciated everything, whilst at the same time encouraging and inspiring to move forward. And that's what we're going to help ourselves. But as a session, we are now entering into a new mini-series. We completed classes one through eight, which is a mini-series in and of itself, the basics of Emuna and Bitachon, a Jewish approach to life. And now, classes nine through 14, we're beginning a mini-series in the Jewish approach to interpersonal relationships. How to help ourselves create the kind of relationships, have the kind of love in our lives, that we want to have. And especially for women, our lives are our relationships. They're who we live with, they're who we share our time with, whether it's our roommates or whether it's our husband, whether it's children or whether it's professionals that we're coming into contact with on a daily basis. It's the relationship that we have with people that makes our workplace a, a geschmack and an interesting place to work, to live. It's the people that we have a relationship with at home that makes our home the place where we want to be. And so our relationships make up the, the, the pleasure or the pain that's in our life. And again, Rav, Rav Noach Weinberg would say, pain and pleasure are not opposites. But, so I'm not using them as opposites, but I'm just saying that they are, uh, they, they're what make up the fabric of our lives. And so, so it's so important for us, especially when, we, when we're in our uh, supporting roles Women traditionally have been there to encourage and support other people. And so we frequently view our success personally as, as, as being the level of success of our relationships. So it's a very great input to us where we're holding with our relationships. And we feel a failure frequently. If our relationships are not up to par, and... Again, perfectionism creeps into this as well. And we believe that only the most perfect relationship would mean success. And that if we don't have the perfect relationship, then we're unsuccessful. So we have a lot of reconsidering to do and a lot of understanding. And Jewish relationship tools that are shared with us in the Torah, but that for some reason we've lost over decades of time. And we've 
began to communicate and run our relationships like the rest of the world does. And we listen to modern psychology instead of understanding ancient truths that Chazal have shared with us. And that's basically what we're going to be sharing and working on over the next few weeks in classes 9 through 14. So today, we're going to begin to understand the topic. Today's class is entitled Unconditional Love. Where do we get this notion from, unconditional love? Well, that's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. Hashem loves us unconditionally. It's a, by Hashkacha Pratis that we are beginning this mini-series in Chaydesh Elo, because Chaydesh Elo, Anila Daidi Vadaidi Li, is the time where more than anything else, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unconditional love is revealed for us all. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't only offer repentance and shuva for the greatest tzaddikim, but it says in the, in the prayers, in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, that Hashem is good, for bad and for the good. And that in Kol Nidre, we welcome in the Avaryanim, those who are immersed in sin, are encouraged to come along and join in the tefillah, that no matter how far we've fallen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu still loves us. This is the definition of unconditional love. Hashem doesn't withhold His love from us because we're imperfect. If that would be the case, then there would be no person who could be deserving of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love. Because none of us are perfect. As David HaMelech said, Bechet imi. My mother formed me in sin. This doesn't mean, as the non-Jewish world translates it, that there is some kind of original sin. I don't even know their nonsense kite. But what it means is, I am born with a propensity to sin. David HaMelech said, Chatasi negdi samid. Which we, Chazal teaches we understand as meaning that I constantly have the ability to sin. As Hashem said to Cain, the petach chatas that the sin is crouching at the door, that there's always an avera ready for us to fall into it. The Sahara wants nothing more than for us to fall, and we are going to have an existence fraught with averas. As long as we're alive and we're living in the flesh, there is no way to avoid failing, and there is no way to avoid making the mistakes that are the fabric of our lives. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do a virus. We hope we're going to do less this coming year than we did last year. We hope they're going to be less severe, and we're going to do more mitzvahs. But the fact that at some point we're going to fall is unavoidable, because that's the nature of living in this life. And then we have to understand the Arachayim says that there are three levels of nachas that, we, that, that creations can give to a Kaddish Baruch. The first level of nachas, and even if I've said this before, it's worth hearing it again, that the first level of nachas a Kaddish Baruch Hu receives from the Malachim, the angels give a Kaddish Baruch Hu nachas. They sing the praise of a Kaddish Baruch Hu which echoes around the universe. And they recognize his greatness and the recognition of who Hashem is, of his chanon, of his chanina, of his graciousness, of his loving kindness that is unconditional. This is something the Malachim recognizes. This gives Hashem tremendous nachas because he wants, he created the entire creation in order to express 
his loving kindness. And so the Malachim gave him a certain amount of nachas. The next level up of nachas explains the Arachayim. It's from the neshamais of the tzaddikim, the souls of tzaddikim in the next world. They've already gone through this existence down here. They've accrued merits. Their neshamas have grown. They've recognized the Kaddish Baruch Hu. In this world, they've overcome the Yitzhahara in this world, and they have grown, and through their mitzvahs, and overcome the Yitzhahara, and recognize the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and revealing his name, they've given a Kaddish Baruch Hu a tremendous amount of nachas. And now they are receiving their schar, they're unlimited, closer to a Kaddish Baruch than the next world. And this gives Hashem a tremendous amount of nachas. But the highest level of nachas explains the Arachayim, a Kaddish. It's from the neshama, it's from the souls of Yidin that are still misoich basar within the flesh, down here in this world, within the struggle, the daily struggle that we have against our Yitzhahara. And over the last months that we've been together, we've already learned some of the tricks of the Eight Sahara. He wants me to feel guilty. He wants me to feel uh, despairing. He wants me to worry. He wants me to fear. He wants me to feel low about myself and to be confused. All of these are the tracks of the Eight Sahara. And so we've learned some of his tactics and tricks. We've learned how to recognize him. But that doesn't mean that we're never going to fall. And since we are still going to fall, but we struggle to get up again, this struggle, this constant struggle against the Yitzhahara is what gives Hashem so much nachas. Davka because we're struggling and failing and getting up again. As we get so much nachas from seeing our little children, may we all be zeichah, those who are waiting to be zeichah to have, and those who are waiting to get married, be zeichah to marry, very soon. And when we see a little child learning how to crawl and learning how to stand and fall and stand again. We get so much nachas from them because we know they're going to make it. We know they're going to improve and they're going to start walking and we're so excited at their progress. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the same excitement and nachas from our progress as it says in the Haftarah on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Ha'im Yeret Sha'ashuim, that Ephraim, the people of Israel, are Hashem's precious child and he just wants to play with us and spend time with us and see us as his precious child. This is who we are for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and, and so Hashem gets such nachas of all that we do, even though we fall. We're not evil because we fall. We're not written off because we fail. We're human because we fall. The human condition encompasses the ability to fail, to fall, to make mistakes, and then get back up again. And precisely because we're in that battle, we are so precious. And we give Hashem way more nachas than everybody else. The very fact that we're given El and Yom Kippur shows us that doing a Averis is going to be part of our condition. If Hashem really expected us never to do a Averis, we wouldn't need to have a Yom Kippur every year. But part of the prayers again says, Hashem is prepared to remove all of our Averis again every year. It says it in the Master. You would have thought, well, if Hashem took them away this year, He's going to expect and anticipate that next year I won't need to do it again. But it's been written in the Master by the Antje Knesset Sagadoyla already generations ago that every single year Hashem is going to have to remove our Averis. Shema Minan, we understand from this. So that's part of the course. That's what's going to be. 
We're going to do a veirut, and then Hashem's going to clean them up. We're going to make ourselves dirty, and Hashem's going to clean us up again. Our children are going to smear mayonnaise and ketchup and, and all over the house, and we're going to have to clean it up again. It's normal. So our approach to tshuva, our approach to Elo, our approach to life needs to be an understanding that Hashem loves us unconditionally, not based on our perfection or lack of it. But for exactly who we are right now, Ha'im Yelet Shashuai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beloved, precious, sometimes wild child. And this unconditional love that Hashem gives to us, and, and the Toma Devorah, which, which especially during Chodesh Elul is highly recommended reading if anybody wants to, has never learned or, or wants to learn something that is, is, uh, is, is proven, to to be a segula for a for a good elul is going to be Toma Devora. It talks about the midas of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and how we can elevate ourselves to be like a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Mahu Rachum Afata, just as He is merciful, so you can be. And as we've discussed, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu re, re, uh, responds to us midah keneged midah, that the midah with which we go forward in life and approach life. That's the media with which HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds to us. And so when we try and copy the medias of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, unconditional love, forgiveness, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will turn towards us with a more revealed unconditional love and a revealed forgiveness. So as I mentioned, the Torah Devara, that the Torah Devara talks about how, uh, the different kinds of, of, of traits of how Kaddish Baruch responds to us showing the intricacies of what unconditional love means of how to do unconditional love of how to view people and how to take into consideration the whole picture of where they're coming from and, and, and how to find some good within them even if there's a whole lot of negativity but to pull out the good and to focus on that and this is how, well, we understand from the Torah of the world that this is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu views us. He looks for the good, as the Midas Kuki Chovetz Chesed who He seeks out the good in a person. Even if they do all kinds of terrible things, but they also do Chesed for a Yid. Or they, they're a good father. Or they, they're generous with their, with their money. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks for the good in a person. That's the Midas of Hashem. That's how Hashem looks at us. He seeks out the good. He wants to be good. He wants us to come out meritorious. He wants to find what's good within us. And so this meter of unconditional love is a, is, is a massive, massive meter of how Kosh Baruch runs the world. And this is why Hashem created the world in the first place. Lehikare Hanun Varachum. To be called merciful and loving. This is the purpose of creation to some level that we don't, we don't really fathom and understand it. But that the revelation of Hashem's Mida as loving kind and as loving unconditionally is the purpose of creation, that this Mida should be revealed. And through us revealing this trait in our own life, through us copying Kodesh Baruch Hu, this reveals Him in this world and reveals those Midas and this fulfills the purpose of the creation. In its introduction to the Torah of it's written that we have within ourselves all of the midos of the 30 midos of Rachamim of a Kaddish Baruch Hu because 
since a Kaddish Baruch Hu put within us a chelik elokami mal, a piece of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So within that piece of a Kaddish Baruch Hu is all of those midos. And so we don't have to try and generate ex min, you know, uh, min something from nothing. But that it's all within us. All of those midos of unconditional love, of forgiveness, of seeking out the good, of remembering the good that a person did even long ago. All of these midos of Hashem are within us. And we need to just bring them out into actuality. As we've learned together over the weeks we've been together, He'eman tiki And that emuna is hamshacha. That I can draw something out into potential through believing that it exists. Through believing that I have within me a source of all of the godly traits within me. Through believing that, I actually draw it into actuality. And I help myself to believe that it's there within me through talking about it. So today we're talking about the media of unconditional love and through talking about it, believing that this exists within us, we're going to draw it into actuality through us being able to live our lives with the traits of unconditional love. This will bring down Be'ez Hashem in response, the means of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, of unconditional love towards us. What is the uniqueness of unconditional love as opposed to love. Love is, is very important. Love makes the world go round. Everybody is seeking love. And you can't buy love. Love cannot be traded. Real, genuine love is something that all of us seek in our relationships. That's what we really want. And especially as women, we know that in, in the halachas of marriage, the Rambam says, that a husband must love his wife because this is what a woman seeks in marriage. She wants to be loved. Now, again, our job in this course that we're showing together is not to change our husband. Our job is to change ourselves. And through being b'teach b'shem, chesed the Mephoshim say, through being a b'teach b'shem, through being a person who trusts in Hashem, I will have an effect on those around me. But I first have, I have to do it through changing myself. I have to do it through becoming a b'teach b'shem. I just brought this Rambam to help us understand that our need is to feel loved. We need love. We want love. And so we often end up in a struggle to receive the love that we need. Since we need so much love and since we desire so much love, we look to those around us quite naturally to fill our need for love. But this often leaves us frustrated because not everybody shares love in the same kinds of way. Not everybody is capable of giving love to the extent that we might feel that we need it. And so we end up blaming other people for not giving us the love that we want. We end up fighting with people, arguing with them, being bitter. And at the end of the day, often we could end up engaging in behaviors that embarrass us ourselves. We're embarrassed of ourselves because we don't want to behave like that. And yet we end up doing it because, but I need that love. And so what am, I, what am I supposed to do? And what we have to know is that all love that exists in the world all comes from one source. Nothing can exist without a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And no love can exist without a Kaddish Baruch Hu. All love comes 
from the Rebbein Shalaylam. He has many shlichim. He has many ways of getting it to people. But we have to know that the ultimate love is going to come from a Kaddish Baruch And when I trust Him for all of my needs, including my need for love, then Hashem has many ways of filling it. Many times I hear from women who believe their husband should show them more love or their children should show them more love or their parents should show them more love. That they feel angry and shortchanged and betrayed because the people who were supposed to give them the love didn't. And so we have to understand that nobody down here owes me anything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu supplies me with everything. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu has left me not receiving something that I wanted to receive from a certain person, and yes, of course, ideally, in marriage, we'll get it from our husbands, and ideally, in our relationships with our parents and with our children, it will be a loving relationship that we will share. But not every relationship is the ideal. And yes, I still have a need for love. So if I have a need, the answer is to turn to the source of all love and to say, you are Kodesh Baruch of the source of everything. And so you can give me the love that I need. And so rather than entering into a fight for control, for love with other people, I can allow myself to release them I don't have to try and control them and force them into giving me the love that I want. I won't feel desperately needy towards them. But I can turn to Kodesh Baruch and he will choose how to send me the love. Maybe Hitaka will choose to send it through my husband or through my children or through my parents or through good friends. Or maybe Hashem will choose to let me know in other ways that he loves me even if this particular relationship for whatever reason I, I'm, I have a tikkun, or, or for whatever reason, it, it, that this isn't meant to be, that particular relationship is not meant to be the, the kind of satisfaction I'm not going to get from that relationship the way that I hoped. And Hashem has his own plans, and it doesn't mean that we give up hoping. Certainly not. But that as I'm hoping for him to change, or for them to change, or for my parents to change, while I'm hoping for that relationship to, to improve, I can get the loving feeling that I need within me <coughs> from the Rebbeinah Shalaylam. Rav Asher Freund brings down the famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avais. Which love is destined to endure and which love is destined not to endure? The kind of love which is destined to fizzle out and to not endure is Ahavahataloi Badava, is love which is dependent on something. And which is the kind of love that is going to endure? That love which is not dependent on something. Unconditional love. The Mishnah says it right there. And he talks about what, what does it mean, unconditional love? Well, the, the example that is held up for us all to see is that of David and Yonason. This is the example of unconditional love, love which is which is not dependent on something. Rabash explains that every relationship that we begin, we begin for a reason. When we get married, it's, it's on the basis of our understanding that this person is matim for us. We see all of the good in them 
and we hope that we can build a home together. We have a reason upon which we base our relationship. If we become friendly with our neighbor, it's because we live in the same building and, and so we meet each other and we find something in common. Or we, we, we meet a friend daily, we, our children are in the same school, or we work together, we, you know, we are in the same office for a couple of years, we become friendly. There's a reason why this relationship begins. But explains of us at a certain point in almost every relationship, a situation arouses, arises where the reason that was the beginning of the relationship disappears. Two friends end up moving away. One goes to work in a different office. The husband and wife all of a sudden realize that the person they thought they were marrying, this is not them. This is not who it is. It was I, what I thought they had, they didn't. And what I didn't think they had, they have. It's, it's someone totally else. Or we, we used to, you know, share carpool and, and we no longer need, need it anymore. So the reason why we established the relationship in the first place is no longer there. And then the question arises, arises, am I going to continue this relationship anymore? Even though the reason is no longer there. Is it going to turn into a a love that is now no longer based on that reason? We're now half an hour into today's class. And if really the reason was the only reason why we, why, why we were friends, Really, this person is not somebody I would ever have anything in common with. But because we were carpooling together, it worked out. But now that we're no longer sharing the carpool, so this is not a person that I really need in my life. And, and we let it go. Or is it some of them I say, well, even though we're not carpooling together, but this, is a, this person has become a friend of mine. And even without the carpool, I want to stay in touch with this friend. Even though we've moved and we now live in a different, in a different neighborhood, I still want to be in touch with this person. I still want to have a Kesha with that friend. I'm going to go to her simchas. I'm still going to daven for her. Whatever. I'm going to maintain this relationship. Then the relationship becomes a new level of relationship. It becomes the Ahava She'eno Teloi It's now no longer dependent on that reason. Now it has a new kiyum. Now it has a new endurance. And David and Yoinistan explains Rav Asha. They met Kachalanira apparently, most probably and likely, in the palace. David was coming to play music for Shaul HaMelech, who had sunk into a depression. And Yonasan was the king of Shaul HaMelech. Most likely they met in the palace, they became friends. And they, they, their neshamas joined together. They became such deep friends in their vote of Hashem, in their appreciation for the mildest, for the greatness that they saw and perceived in each other. But at a certain point, Yonasan and David both understood that they were both actually vying for the throne. If David would be king, it would mean that Yonasan would not be king. And Yonasan, the son of Shaul, was the next in line to the throne. But if David would take that throne, then Yonasan would not be king. And so the reason was, it wasn't reasonable that they should even be friends. There was no reason they should be friends. There was a reason why they shouldn't be friends. They were actually enemies for the throne. But they both decided that even though there is no reason why we should be friends, we are 
we love each other. I have a nefesh. We have such a a, a, a neshama a connection, a heartfelt connection, that we cannot allow this relationship to to disappear and to dissolve just because there's no reason. It is beyond the nature of reason. And so the relationship became that which is which is beyond reason. And this, this is the ultimate example, that even though there was actually a very good reason why they should not be friends, why they should be mortal enemies, but they became the, the, the ultimate example of unconditional love, love that is not based on any, anything that they could personally get out of it, but it's beyond that. This is the kind of love that we are encouraged to love, not because we want to get something from somebody, but only to be able to give love to another person. When we are involved in a relationship where we are loving them in order to receive love back, we enter into very murky waters. Because what happens if they don't give me what I want? Then I have to come and I have to wonder, maybe I shouldn't be giving them love, maybe I should withhold love. And I start to try and control them to try and make them love me in certain ways. And this enters into very, sometimes nasty, very unhealthy relationships. Since HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us unconditionally, and since the Mishnah tells us that this is the kind of love that will endure, it's unconditional love, from this we understand that the most ideal form of love, the most healthy form that a relationship can take is that of unconditional love where I give without wanting to receive back but I give because I want to be one who gives love and that's why I give love and this frees us we don't have to stop giving love because somebody didn't do what we wanted or because somebody misbehaved we can continue loving and giving even if somebody didn't do what we wanted We're free to be the kind of person we want to be. And every one of us wants to be able to love. But sometimes we hold ourselves back because we don't think we should. But what about if they attack us, not acting properly? What if they're not behaving themselves? We can tell them, I don't, I I don't think this fits you, what you, how you behaved. I felt hurt by what you did. But I don't have to hold myself back from loving because of that. I can continue loving. In Chaydash of Tshuva and the Chaydash of Elo, it's also important to mention that frequently we find ourselves dragged into behavior that we're ashamed of, again, because we're frustrated or because we're upset at other people. Our job within ourselves is to create within ourselves the kind of behavior and the kind of approach to other people that, even, that, that one day when that person will come to us and say, I am sorry, I should never behave the way I behaved. I will not need to apologize myself for anything that I did. I want to be able to look back at my behavior over all of the years and say, I always did what I felt was right in my, and in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's eyes. I always loved, I always behaved, I always gave. And if I was hurt, I said so. I didn't hide it. But I, was, I always acted in accordance with unconditional love. I didn't hold it back. I didn't punish them emotionally. But I created an atmosphere where wherever, whenever they were ready, 
they could be accepted back with open arms. That's how Kaddish Baruch Hu greets us. He doesn't say, well, you didn't talk to me all year. Now you come. Now you come. Like some people would do. But Hashem is ready with open arms whenever. Says the Nusach HaTefillah. Till his last day, a Kaddish Baruch is waiting. A person's whole life, they could ignore Rachman al-Islam Nebuch, a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and live their whole life Nebuch as if Hashem doesn't exist, Rachman al-Islam. And as your Moisley Yechakal Hashem is waiting, with outstretched arms, with unconditional love, waiting to hear from him. He's waiting and waiting. Are you going to remember me? Are you going to remember me? He doesn't turn his back just because this, this, this idiot has spent his life in, in frivolity, but he waits and waits and waits with patience. And the ability to be able to wait and wait and wait with patience is within each and every one of us. And our children are always going to take advantage of us because that's what children do. They push the limits as far as they possibly can. And we're soft and we let them. But we need to be mechanech them at the same time. But we can be mechanech with unconditional love. We continue loving and loving and loving. Even at the same time, we are telling them, this particular behavior doesn't might be nice. I don't like this particular behavior. It's not, it's not fitting for you. It's not, it's not something that elevates you. It's not the way I believe a Ben Torah should behave. We can, we can say what we believe to be true at the same time as giving unconditional love. And again, it frees us so much. It creates such emotional health. When I can love everybody in my life unconditionally, not, not because they're perfect, but even if they're imperfect, and even if they're wildly imperfect, I can still love them just as a Kaddish Baruch who loves us with all of our Mishagasen. And as the Britain Greenberg used to say, we all have Baruch a lot of Mishagasen, each and every one of us. We've got loads of Mishagasen, but the Kaddish Baruch who loves us just the same. So we can also find it within our heart to love everybody, even with their Michigan. In next week's class, we are going to be talking about forgiveness. And we're going to be dividing people into three groups for the purposes of the class. We have the normal, regular people who are in our lives who we love, but for whatever reason they've hurt us and we want to forgive them. And then we're going to be talking about the group two people who we actually don't have any kind of relationship with them. But one time at some point in our lives, our, our paths crossed with them and they, they were very nasty or mean. And, and we find ourselves remembering it and, and, and we want to be able to forgive these people too. So we, we need to forgive them. And then we have group number three people. Group number three people are the people who we find it hard to forgive because they're close to us, but they hurt us constantly. And yes, it's going to be very challenging with this kind of person to love them unconditionally. And so we're going to need specialized tools to help ourselves to do that. And that's what class number three, class number 10 is going to be about. How to help ourselves approach all these various kinds of people. So when I talk about unconditional love and giving out unconditional love, I'm not talking about um, creating a vulnerability, opening myself up to danger from heartless people or dangerous people, or people who really are actually nasty and mean and out to get me. We're going to be dealing with, the, with, with, with very challenging kinds of people at the end of class number 10 next week. I'm talking about adopting as a world view and an approach to life a sense of loving unconditionally, not dependent on who people are, but on who I am. A Kodesh Baruch doesn't love us because of who we are, because we're pathetic. Excuse me, I'm pathetic. 
Hashem loves me because of who he is. He's perfect. You are loving, kind, and all merciful, and we're stubborn. That's who we are. You are Erech you are long-suffering, and we are Malay Avain. We're a bag full of sin. That's who we are. You don't love us because we're so wonderful. You love us because we're your children. And so we can, we can be the same as the Kaddish Baruch. It's within our neshamas, from the Shavash neshama, from our souls. We have the ability to be able to love like this. And when we love in this way, we will become more like Hashem. We will feel elevated. We will feel like, like a sense of chashivas, a sense of, of, of freedom will enter into us because we're not going to be in games that people play down here trying to, to win. Our sense of being loved and of loving is not going to be dependent on other people. They're not going to have any control over me of whether I love or not, but I'm the one in control of myself. And this is incredible freedom. Once I allow myself to do that, it's going to be a different kind of life. The, the Vilna Gaon, no, sorry, the Chazon Ish, excuse me, the Chazon Ish said that the Tzaddik knows that most people don't have elevated midos. And so, he loves people even, even, though, even though they don't have elevated midos. He loves them anyway. A Tzaddik is not a person who looks at other people to see their faults. A tzaddik says, in the words of the Chazon Ish, is someone who knows how to love despite a person's shortcomings. This is the way a tzaddik loves his generation. We learn from Rav Shimon Bar Yechai. I'm going to share with you some of the words of Rav Shimon Bar Yechai. And this is taken from the Nesiva Shalom that he writes about Lag Baomer over there. Okay, I'm going to share with you. Excuse me, let me find the place over here. I don't know how many of you have ever been in Eretz Yisrael in, on Lag Baoma in Miran, but the, the, the depth of the crush over there and the amount of hours a person has to sit on a bus to get there and back would seem to make it extremely undesirable to go. And yet, tens of thousands of people sit on buses for hours in traffic and not even to get close to the, to, to, to the Myra, but even just to see it, to be on the land that is Miran. The question is why? The base Aaron itself says, Just as the Kodesh Baruch Hu is there for everyone, so Rabbi Shimon is there for everyone. Rabbi Shimon said about himself, that I could re- relieve the entire world from judgment. How, how, what, what's the cash over here? How could a tzaddik relieve the world of judgment? We know that Rabbi Shimon was sent into Gaulus away from his family. He said that whatever the Romans do, they do for themselves. The Roman emperor didn't like hearing this truth. And he 
decided he was going to pursue Rabbi Shimon and kill him for having said such words. Rabbi Shimon went off and hid in a cave for 12 years and learned the Torah up to his neck in dirt all during the week, saving his clothes only for Shabbos, living on Kruvim, on carobs and water that flowed miraculously from a, from a, a stream. And after 12 years, a bass call, a voice came out from heaven, the Roman emperor has died, Rabbi Shimon can come out. When he exited the cave, he saw Yidin plowing their fields, engaging in commerce, and Rabbi Shimon said, how can Yidin leave the Holy Torah and come out and go out and work? And with his piercing gaze, his critical eye on this Yid, a fire came down and burned up the, f- the field, and a voice came out from Shemayim and said, Shimon, you came out of the cave to burn up my world? Go back into the cave. But the Shimon went back into the cave and stayed there another 12 months learning Torah. After 11 months, Rabbi Shimon said to son Elazar, Din Rishon Begehinim, 12 months, I'm sorry, after 12 months, the judgment of the Rishon in Gehinim is 12 months. So we can go out now. Mephoshim asked, what does it mean that he said the din of the judgment of Rishoyim is 12 months. How could he refer to himself as a Russia? And the Siva Shalom explains. Rabbi Shimon understood that when he first came out and he viewed the world in such, and the Jews, the Yidin, and their engagement in commerce in such a critical way, this, according to his elevated status and his titkas, this was considered rishis. This was considered evil for him a form of evil. And because he was then a Russia, he needed to go back in for another year to work on his Ayin Tova, on his Abbas Yisrael, on his unconditional love. And that was what he spent those 12 months doing. And when he came out, he came out loving every single year. When they finally came out after the, the 13th year, he saw a Jew with two myrtle branches he went over to the Yid and he said, what are these for? He said, they're for Shabbos Kodesh, to honor the Shabbos. One is for Zachar, one is for Shamar, one is to remember, one is to keep. And Reb Shimon appreciated how this Jew was elevating this world to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he came back to live with Shalom, with the world. We have a Musag in Yiddishkeit. I'll call Peshoim Tachase Ahavo. That love covers over all of the blemishes. And the Rabbi Shimon, when he came out, he had reached the Madrega of loving every Yid from Yisrael. But the love of Rabbi Shimon was so massive and so huge that he had the power with his love to actually be Mechase Kol Peshaim. Let's give an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say a, a, a mother has a, a little bit of a wild son who sometimes misbehaves and sometimes he even torments some of the neighborhood children. And this particular child was down in the street one day and he beat up one of the neighbor's children. 
and the neighbor comes running up. You know what your kid did? What a terrible child you have. You know what kind of a person he is? He's a monster. Look what he did to my son. And the mother, the mother says to, to her neighbor, I'm so sorry. He must have had such a bad day. And, and I'm sure he really did mean it. And she tries to cover it all up because she doesn't want her son to look bad. Of course, when he comes in, she's going to give him a nice extra portion of education over here. But whilst she was, try- whilst she was talking to the neighbor, she's trying to cover it all up. She doesn't want her son to look bad because she loves him so much. And this is the means of Rabbi Shimon. That love covers over all of the Peshoyim. That the love of a tzaddik for Klal Yisrael actually has the effect physically, meaning in the physical world, like a blanket. It covers over all of the Peshoyim. So they're not even visible anymore. They might have existed, but they're not visible. The custom that many tzaddikim have to go out with a bow and arrow on Lagba Omer is a symbol of the truth that during his lifetime, no rainbow appeared in the sky. The word for a bow and arrow in Hebrew is keshet. And keshet means a rainbow. It's the same word for rainbow and a bow and arrow. And it's to symbolize that the rainbow didn't appear during the lifetime of Rabbi Shimon. Why didn't a rainbow appear? And what's the symbolism of that? We know that actually a rainbow is a symbol of judgment. At the end of the flood, Hashem showed Nayach a rainbow. And it was a symbol that there was now no, going to, no longer going to be a flood. Hashem would not destroy all of mankind. But the rainbow would be a symbol that there was a judgment going on, but that Hashem wasn't going to destroy because of it. A rainbow is a symbol that there is din. And all during Rabbi Shimon's lifetime, no rainbow even appeared. Does that mean all of a sudden they became tzaddikim? It doesn't mean that. But that Rabbi Shimon's love covered over the Averus to such a degree that there was now no longer any din. No judgment appeared during his lifetime because his great love for them covered it over. There is some metaphysical change and shift that takes place due to the love of a tzaddik for Klal Yisrael. The protection of a community by its tzaddik is due to the love that again, certainly also with chusim, but part of it is that his love covers them over. His favorable judgment of the people covers over their blemishes so they're no longer visible and so the judgment doesn't even appear. So our unconditional love upon ourselves and upon other people actually changes in some mysterious way. The way HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds to us and to our family and to Kal Yisrael. Now, as women, as mothers, as the ladies of Kal Yisrael, there are so many people that we need to love. Our parents want us to love them. Our friends want us to love them. Our siblings need our love. Our husbands and our children need our love. There are so many people in our lives that we're supposed to be loving. But who's loving us? Where are we supposed to get it from? 
it's draining. It, uh, we, we're just supposed to be constant giving and turn into shmatas. And so the answer is that if I am relying on other people to give me the love, then yes, I could very quickly drain and, and, and become a drained and dried out shmatas. But if I am turning to a Kodesh Baruch as the source of love, then there is never an end to the love that I can receive. A woman was mentioning recently how she, uh, she needed an extra measure of, uh, of, uh, of pinuk, a little bit of, of, of spoiling. She had a very, a very stiff neck and she was really, really uncomfortable. And uh, for whatever reason, she, 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 she didn't know how she could get it. She needed, some, uh, she needed to, to get her neck taken care of. And she didn't have the money to pay for a chiropractor or, or, uh, or, or somebody like that. And so she went to her doctor and said, look, don't, don't spend your money. Go to physiotherapist. And so he gave her a prescription. And they said, look, there's, there's no appointments anywhere near, but you put a name on the list. The next day she got a phone call back that somebody had canceled. And she had an appointment with a top physiotherapist who helped her so much. And he said to her, look, you know, it's really a good idea for you to get a, a massage every now and again. So she decided, okay, you know, who knows? Yeah, how am I going to pay for a massage? But okay, maybe Hashem will help. So the next day, even though her back was hurting her, it wasn't all the way healed yet. Her daughter had heard of a certain sale in a certain um, in, in school sweaters, and she was going back to school. So her mother said, like, I'll, I'll take you along, and we'll buy them, even though she was still a bit in pain. But she put herself out to go and help her daughter find these sweaters for school. After they bought them just what they wanted, they walked out, and right next door to the store was a, a uh, Dr. Back store. It's called Dr. Gav over here in Israel. Dr. Gav, Dr. Back, and they had in the street like a number of different specialized chairs that are made with massage mechanism within them, and you could just sit down and try them all out. So she sat down. She, she had the most fantastic back massage she'd ever had. And the staff were like, yeah, try out all the chairs. She, she was there for like an hour going between all the different chairs, getting a full top back and bottom back and the middle back. And then there was a reflexologist there giving footwork as well. She said she got a whole body workout for nothing. Kodesh Baruch just sent it down to her. She got all the, the spoiling that she needed she got from her Kodesh Baruch when we turn to Hashem, we're not limited by the abilities of other people to give us what we need. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has unlimited means at His disposal. And when we tune into Him, and when we really feel in our hearts, Hashem is with me, Hashem loves me, I get from Hashem and then I can give out to other people. This enables me to be a constant flow of love to those that I want to be able to give to. I want to be a source of love. We want to be givers. We want to be nurturers. It's in our nature to do that. But we don't want to dry out. We don't want to give on empty. Nobody can run on empty. The wisdom of women is to know how to receive that love from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How to know to tune into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for us. And then, to be, and then once we can fill up that Hashem is our gas station, when He fills us up, then the constant flow of love to give to other people, we can give. And the truth is that when we give unconditionally, we're going to find that it's going to come back to us.
And that's what we're going to be discussing. How to give unconditional love. How to feel Hashem's love for us. And how to help enable other people to love us back. We're going to be discussing all of that house. do want to share Baruch Hashem some feedback. just got a phone call the other day from a young woman who joined the program with a very troubling uh, situation approaching. And what it was was that her, her, six, her almost six-year-old son was scheduled to have heart surgery this week. In fact, Tuesday of this week was supposed to be the heart surgery. And um, apart from the totally understandable worry, fear, and agmas nefesh that a woman would experience in knowing that her little boy had to undergo heart surgery, there was also an added uh, issue with her, which was that, unfortunately, tragically, uh, her, a parent of hers passed away when she was a girl in hospital under difficult circumstances. And so her whole relationship with hospitals and, and, and surgery was a traumatic one. And so it was, it was both of these things together, the fear of the surgery in addition to the fear of hospitals. And so we had a lot of work to do together. And she was doing a lot of inner work to help herself overcome the negative memories and to feel trust in Hashem's protection. And this is what she was really building in within herself. Hashem is protecting the entire family and Hashem protecting her son. And this is what she was really, uh, you know, helping herself with in, in the months that we were together. And we decided that during the, uh, the summer break, that if she needed to, that she would call me and because the surgery was coming up this week. And so I made myself available to her that she should call so that we could work on other aspects of what she was doing. They even had, towards the end of last school year, they had the pre-op visit in the hospital where they were shown around the, the surgery wards and they, they, they guided them through everything. And basically, as far as the hospital was concerned, they were ready admission this week when all of a sudden at the end of last week they got a phone call there's a strike and they won't be able to have the surgery as planned well after months and months of waiting this was a real shock to her now the the surgery was to fix a hole in the heart that had been there and discovered when he was a, a baby and the doctors had told the mother that Sometimes closes between the, uh, up to ages two or three. If it hasn't closed by ages two or three, then it doesn't close. That was what the doctors told her. And that in that case, they would need to have surgery by the time he's six. And he was going to be, he's going to be six pairs of the Shem next month. And that's why they're scheduled in the surgery for now. So now the surgery was pushed off and it was going to be six in a month. And... The doctors called her then the following day after they told them about the strike and that they wouldn't be having surgery. And they said, look, since it's been pushed off, we're going to have to do another scan in order to work out and be able to establish a new date for the surgery. So please come in. They booked the scan for Monday of this week. So she really didn't 
feel excited about having to go for another scan. They'd already done lots of scans, and sometimes they'd have to come home with and take antibiotics. You know, sometimes the scan led to discovery of more things that needed with needed intervention. And so she really wasn't enthusiastic or excited about going to do the scan, but that's what the doctors told her they had to do. So she's like, okay, Hashem's okay taking care of all of this. And she really strengthened herself upon the news of the strike that Hashem's taking care of it all. It's all going to work out in the best possible way. She's stabbing to Hashem. It's all in your hand, the Kaddish Baruch and I know it's going to be good. And I'm relying only on you. So they went along to do the scan on Monday. And Monday night, I got this, this message, call back, good news, okay, with a phone number. So okay, I had to call back, find out what's going on. And she told me the whole story about the strike and about the scan and about how they went down to do the, to do the scan. And after the scan, they had a meeting with all the doctors. The doctor said to her, the hole has closed. Your son does not need the surgery. Her husband, she said, had this huge smile on his face. She said she was so shocked she could barely even react. And she said all of these months that she had been anticipating Yeshua Sashem and helping herself to believe and trust in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It never even had entered her mind to think that the hole would close. She was hoping that it would just all go smoothly and that Hashem would take care of everything, but that the hole would close and that he wouldn't even need surgery. This was something that didn't even enter her mind to begin to hope for. As so I said to her, this is Abitech Bashem Chesed Yisavavenu. It wasn't that it's the specific outcome. It needs to be like this, and I'm hoping just for this. But that it's in Hashem's hands, and you know what you're doing. And, 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 and she really worked on herself to trust in the Rebbe Shalom, that Hashem is taking care of everything. And then, this opened the door, that the Chesed came down in a way even beyond something she could imagine was possible. That the Chesed came down and surrounded her way beyond what she ever could have dreamed of. And that really a medical miracle happened. No doctor told her that this was even a possibility. But, and, ju- and even just last year, it hadn't happened. But just right then, just the last scan before the surgery, and the only reason why they did another scan was because there was a strike and the surgery was pushed off. He was scheduled to go into surgery on Tuesday. But the scan on Monday came out saying that he didn't need the surgery anymore. May we all be to see and experience his nisim and nifloys in our lives. Hashem's nisim are always with us. She said, when I heard other people's stories, it was mechazek me greatly. It gave me lots and lots of strength. But to believe that I was going to have such a story, such a name, I never even dreamed that that could be. But Akadosh Baruch Hu has his plans. And, uh, and this is where you say, man plans and God laughs. We plan that it should just go smoothly. Hashem says, the hole's going to close. You're not even going to need the surgery in the first place. Be'ez Hashem. All the fools should come down to all Yiddish Kindalach. Hashem I got another beautiful message from an old friend who took the course, I think, maybe six years ago. And recently was back in touch with me. And she said, I don't know if I've shared all of my different various successes with you. But here's another one that happened over the years. Uh, let's just rewind a little bit. This was a, a woman who'd been hoping for her daughter to get married. And Baruch Hashem, her daughter did get married, but tragically her husband 
passed away just over a week, just after Sheva Brachas had finished for this daughter, which was very, very tragic. But she, Baruch Hashem, she got remarried, and, and Baruch Hashem is, is, is living a, a happy, healthy life. Baruch Hashem and her husband is, Be'ez Hashem and Melitz Yosha for all of his family from the next world. Oliver Shalom. So she said, for my remarriage, I used to visualize that I would be at a grandson's bris with my new husband, taking a picture with my family. This is, what, this is how she anticipated getting married, that they would be at the simcha of a grandchild being born at a bris, and that the new husband would be there, and they'd be taking a picture all together. And this, this was part of what she used to anticipate the success and to anticipate how she would be remarried and celebrating the simcha of her grandson. Well, Baruch Hashem, we got married on December 30th, and my son had his first child, a boy, on February 1st, just a, one month later. And Baruch Hashem, kachaya. That's exactly how it was. One month after they got married, there they were, celebrating the bris of a grandson, and together with her new husband, Hoidu Hashem Kitai. Okay, so we discussed that unconditional love is really the healthiest way to run our relationship. And that with unconditional love, we can, Be'ez Hashem, share relationships that are healthy. And that this is how a Kaddish Baruch Hu himself relates to us in our relationships. And we discussed that when we feel so needy that we need to get from other people, we are limiting ourselves and we, are de- we make ourselves dependent on other people for how much love we get. And I suggested that what we can do is we can help ourselves to actually turn to Hashem and trust in Hashem to receive the love we need. And everybody needs love. Now, we couldn't talk about this before now. Because we had to first of all understand that we can trust Hashem Bichlau. And now that we've learned to actually put Hashem inside our heart and be able to rely on Him for our needs, and Be'ez Hashem, I hope that all of you have had some kind of successes in your life where you feel, this was Hashem, I feel that Hashem is in my life, whether it was a small daily success or whether it was a larger success, Be'ez Hashem. That's the Hashem that we can now turn to, to trust in Him, also for my personal and emotional so how do we go about doing this? We're going to begin our discussion with a pasuk in Mishlei. Kamayim hapanim lapanim, leiv haadam laadam. As water reflects a face to a face, so is one person's heart reflected in another's. The Gerah says on this pasuk, if one person's heart is well disposed towards another person, the other person will be well disposed towards him, even if he does not know what's in his heart. The grass says, one who thinks about another person, those thoughts will be transmitted to him, even without conscious knowledge. The Chaim says on this Pasuk that he brings down this Pasuk in his understanding of the Pasuk in Pasha's Vayigash, Yigash Yehuda. Yehuda approached Yosef. He said, 
Yehuda's intention over here was to approach Yosef and to try and turn the heart of Yosef, who he perceived to be a cruel, hard-hearted Egyptian ruler, towards him, a, a Jew who was coming to beg mercy. And so he needed to prepare himself for this discussion with Yehuda. And what did he do to prepare himself? The Arachim says we can understand this through the concept of his water reflects a face to a face, this Pasuk in Mishle. With this in mind, Yehuda contrived to incline Yosef's heart towards him to be merciful. And Yehuda brought his mind and heart closer to Yosef to feel love and feel fondness for him. So that Yosef should then come closer to him in return. As water reflects a face to a face. For the heart will discern what is hidden, whether to love or to hate. For if a man readies his heart to love his friend, so will his friend's heart see reason to love him back. The Rechaim is saying that when a person feels within his heart love towards somebody else, that person will feel it, will know it, and will respond back in kind with his own love towards that person. This is very important information. What we're understanding here is that telepathy exists in the form of sending the way that we feel towards another person. The Sfas Emes says in Parshish Metzor in the name of the Kotzka Rebbe, Dvarim hayetzim min halev, nichnosim el halev. This is usually understood to mean that whatever we want people, whatever we want to understand, another person will understand. He uses it another way. The way that we feel towards another person is actually going to turn around and be reflected back towards us. A beautiful story about Rav Shimon Schwab when he was a German Bacha learning in the Mir Yeshiva in Poland. The, the, uh, the custom in the Mir was that students from foreign lands who came to learn in the mirror, would borrow money before the Yamim Tovim to go home for their travel expenses. And then they would bring back the money and pay it back to the, to the Mashkiach upon arrival back after the Yamim Tovim. One year, Reb Shimon was standing in line as that Bacher, waiting to give the money back to Reb Yerucham for having lent him his travel expenses. And as he gave back the money, he was, a, he was an educated, polite young Bacha, and he said, thank you, to Rabbi Yerucham. Rabbi Yerucham jumped back as if bitten by a snake. Ribis, he said, that's what you get from Germany, with the emphasis on pleasantries and manners more than on halacha. Well, Rabbi Shimon Schwab took the, took the Musa seriously, and he remembered, never say thank you, never say thank you, and he promised himself that he would not make that mistake again when he borrowed the money and went home the following Yontif and came back again, he stood in line anticipating that he was not going to say thank you this time around. And as he approached Reb Yerucham, he handed back the money and when he stood there silently, Reb Yerucham turned to him and said, and where's the thank you? This time Reb Shimon was totally confused. He said, Rebbe, Last time I said thank you, I got, a, I got Baruch Hashem some Musafit. And this time I didn't say thank you, and I'm also getting Musafit. So what's, what's the right thing to do? 
And if Yerushalayim answered back to him and he said, it's true that according to Halacha, you're not allowed to say thank you. But I should have been able to detect your deep appreciation that you wanted to say thank you and that it was hard for you to hold back. And I didn't feel the gratitude coming out of your heart. Rabbi Yerucham is saying, what you feel, I feel. I know what you're feeling. And if I don't feel what it is you're feeling, then I know it's missing. And I can give you Musa, based on what I understand is missing from your heart. Another beautiful story of Arya Levine, the tzaddik of two previous generations now, tzaddik of Yushalayim, was the, one of the old Zakanim, one of the elders of the generation during the British occupation of Yushalayim and of Eretz Yisrael. And then during the Turkish rulership, when the Turks were in charge, and they put this very cruel Turkish minister in charge of Yushalayim. And Askanim came to Rabbi Arye and asked him to please go and intervene with this Turkish minister. He was so cruel and making such draconian decrees against the community. Maybe he could turn his heart towards the community. Rabbi Arye took upon himself the job, and there were those who thought to themselves, and mentioned it. Why are we sending an elderly rabbi? Maybe we should send somebody who's more politically correct. But Rav Arya went, and Rav Arya was incredibly successful. And from that day on, the Turkish minister was very favorably inclined towards the old Yishuv of Yerushalayim. People came to Rav Arya and they asked him, what did you do? What was your secret? How did you manage to help them? And he answered, the night before the meeting, I wrote on myself and I, and I brought around, aroused in my heart great pity for him, for this tur- cruel Turkish minister that he has to be so cruel and, and he has to make such decrees against everybody. And I roused in my heart such pity and rahmanas for him that when I went to him, he naturally picked up and sensed my feelings towards him and he was favorably inclined towards me as well. During the Second World War, the Vizhnitsa Rebbe escaped and he spent some time in, uh, after the, uh, the, during the war, after the war, with a German community. And after their time together, these, what had been originally Kaltayekes, these cold uh, German Jews, became fiery Hasidim tied with, with, with heart and soul to the vision of the Rebbe. And at one time someone approached the vision of the Rebbe and they asked him, how did this come about? How could you turn these men into Hasidim? He said, I didn't intend to turn them into Hasidim. But when I was living with them, I loved them so deeply with all my heart and soul that they couldn't help but love me back. And when Rav Elyorot Zetzal a tzaddik and a, and a master mechanic of the last generation was asked how he was able to succeed with so many lost and broken souls that he was trying to rebuild after the Second World War. Young Bartram who weren't succeeding in, in learning, in, in poverty and in dire distress. And he was asked, how did you succeed? He quoted this story of the vision of Rebbe. That this is how he helps to build people again. 
I love them so much, she said. And that's what ties them back to me. That's what helps them to be rebuilt. The Tolna Rebbe, in his Sefer Hemi Achamuni, says, all during the years that Yosef had been taken away and was in Mitzrayim, the brothers never asked each other, well, Egypt is not so far away, let's go and find him. They never said that. Yet when their father told them to go down to Mitzrayim to buy grain due to the famine, they said, oh, Yosef is in Mitzrayim. Maybe we'll go and find him. Why only then did they begin to remember Yosef? And the Tolna Rebbe answers that all during the years that Yosef was in prison, he needed all of his kachas and nefesh just to survive and to work on his imuna as, as he needed. As we know, he, he ended up having two extra years to work on his imuna. But after he was taken out and he became the viceroy and he was already bringing blessing to the land of Mitzrayim, then he was able to reflect on his life and his circumstances and to come to the conclusion, Hashem Choshav et Zelotoiva. Hashem organized the entire history of my life to bring me to this point. Hashem decided all of this for my good. And once he understood that, he was able to forgive his brothers. And at that moment, explains the Talmud Rebbe, at that moment, he forgave them. They felt in their hearts that Yosef was thinking about them and that Yosef was connecting to them again. And that was the point at which they then began to think about him and they wanted to come and find him. The way that we think about another person is transmitted to them. This is what the Torah is telling us. And the way that we deeply feel about another person is transmitted to them. So if I want to give unconditional love to somebody in my life, when I begin to think about it, and I begin to feel it towards another person in a very intense kind of a way. They are going to get it. But there are so many people that we do love, and they're not getting the message. So what's the problem? The problem is that there's a tremendous amount of static on the line. Even if there's a lot of love there, there's so many other things vying for our attention. Rev. Zachariah Greenwald, a a highly up-to-date mechanic in our generation, really tuned into the needs of the children of our generation, explains that since there are so many real dangers around them, then quite understandably, parents have got lots of worries and fears about their children. Yet the problem is that we are transmitting these fears and worries to our children, and it's coming out as suspicion and lack of confidence in our children. Not only that, but the messages that our children are hearing from us, coming from our minds and coming from our hearts, is, I'm terrified about you. I don't know what you're getting into. I don't know what you're doing. I'm fearful. I'm worried. I don't, I, I, I don't trust you. And so the little voice behind all of that saying, I love you and that's why I'm scared about you, is not loud enough for them to hear. What we need to do is to learn how to turn down the volume on the worries and fears and turn up the volume on the I love you unconditionally and nothing is ever going to get in the way of that love. And any child who hears that message 
coming loud and clear from their mother's heart, they're not going to be able to ignore that message. Nothing stands in the way of unconditional love. And so it's a matter of getting them to hear it. So we have to learn how to be able to transmit it in a clear and powerful way without all the other static around. And once we can do that, all kinds of things will begin to change. I just want to share with you a really funny story because it illustrates so well how we can transmit messages that we want to transmit to people, even to total strangers. I think it was probably around nine, was it nine years ago? Okay, it was about eight or nine years ago, okay, when I was still fairly new and using these tools, just beginning to share them and and teach them and use them myself. And I was scheduled to undergo uh, a certain kind of surgery. And our anniversary had come out about two weeks before this surgery. And my husband said to me, I'm going to take you out. We're going to go down to Yam HaMelech, down to the Dead Sea. And we'll have, you know, an, an evening just the two of us to celebrate our anniversary. Now, we don't often go out to eat. And we don't, we, we've never been out to eat down in Yam HaMelech. But we, we took a day off. We, my husband rented a car. The Dead Sea is one of my favorite locations. It's just the peace and quiet that's down there is is not found anywhere else in my experience. The total silence. And so we drove off down there with hope in our hearts that we're going to have a lovely evening together. There are three hotels at the very end of, just, just after the separate beaches. And we went to the first hotel and walked up to the desk to ask them what the heck she was over there, hoping that it would be something that we would be able to eat at. They told us what it was, and it was, it was not a hersha that we usually rely on. So we said, okay, we'll go to the next hotel. We went out and went to the next hotel. And the hersha in that place too was also not something that we would usually rely on. So we said, okay, there's one last hotel. Be'ezat Hashem, you know, Hashem, Be'ezat Hashem, you're going to help us, it will work out. Be'ezat Hashem, we'll have, we'll have the evening that we came down here for. And we'd, 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 on the way down, we'd passed a little supermarket. We knew that worse comes to worse, we'd go and buy some crackers and tuna fish, you know, in the, but that wasn't what we'd taken the evening off for. So we really hoped that it was going to work out. We walked into the last hotel and we went up to the desk and my husband asked, what was the hersh over there? What was the hashkacha? And they again told him the same one that the previous two hotels had said, the same hersh that we would not usually eat. But the man behind the desk said, but there is a group of women vacationing here right now. And they have the Hersh of the Eid Haredes of Yerushalayim, which is one of the top Hersherim that almost everybody in Yerushalayim keeps. And we also were very happy to, to, to rely on, on, on that Hersh. Maybe you, you could join their group for the evening. They, he said, yeah. So we said, who do you have to speak to? He pointed us in the direction of a gentleman at the other end of the lobby. So my husband and I looked at each other and we decided this was the perfect opportunity to put into practice this interpersonal skill. And so we stood together and both thought together the following thoughts. We would be so grateful to you and indebted to you if you would allow us to join this group. We are so thankful to you and we have such appreciation to you for allowing us to join your group. We, we, and we sent to him positive feelings and smiles from the other end of the lobby. 
hopeful that he would respond to these positive feelings that we were sending over towards the gentleman in the suit at the other end of the lobby. And then we approached with smiles on our face. And my husband mentioned to him, we've come from Yerushalayim tonight, and we wondered if we could possibly join your Ketanat Imahot, your group of, the, of mothers away, for dinner downstairs. The man looked at us and he said, no, it's impossible, it's a closed group. And then he sort of looked at us again, having second thoughts, and he said, you know what, I'll see what I can do. So he went downstairs and left us waiting upstairs, waiting by the lobby. And we were turned our eyes to Hashem, you can do anything. Let's hope for the best. And five minutes later, he came up. He said, okay, I've taken care of everything. And follow me. We followed him to the far side of the dining room, to a section next to the window, overlooking the sunset, and also a view of Yamamelech, which is actually the dead the sun does not set over the sea. The sun sets on the opposite side. But somehow we could see both the sunset and the sea. And not the actual sun, but the, the whole sky and the sea. And he'd he'd put a machit, he put a, a curtain in between our table for two and all the other women who were having dinner. And he said, You can have you take your help yourself from the Schmorgesburg and we said, how much is it? He said, $10 a piece. <laughs> Help yourself. And we, we helped ourselves. We sat there at this table with a gorgeous view overlooking the peace and the tranquility of the Am HaMelech, which at that point, that was the, whenever I did my guided imagery, that was why I imagined myself sitting at the Am HaMelech. And we just said to each other, this is absolutely incredible. This is play play and this is Nisim of Hashem. He just organized this for us. But it also showed to us the incredible power of how we can transmit a deep thought that we are thinking to another person. Many, many people have used this in business deals, in, in all kinds of other things. One particular story comes to mind of a woman whose husband, um, they had to pay thousands of, of dollars in back tuition that they, that they didn't have. And... And he'd been, a, he'd been a multimillionaire, but had lost a lot of money in business deals. And now he was uh, some kind of, uh, of, of investment advisor. The kids, uh, he, they needed a lot of money. And he was going to a meeting with somebody who had been a very big customer of his. And he wanted to get from him a, um, a, 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 a testimonial to use to get more clients. And he'd been to a special business coach to teach him how to, how to approach this man to show that he was in power and in control to get what he wanted out of the man. After this woman heard today's class, she called the husband. She said, forget everything the coach told you. Forget everything. Just stand outside that meeting and tell the man, I love you, I love you, I love you. Just in your heart, begin to feel how great he is and sing his praise. She said, even though I can, I've told you over the years that this guy is a, is a big nothing, but I want you to stand outside that meeting and tell him that he's great and think in your mind what a wonderful guy he is. And the husband said to her, okay, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Okay, they got off the phone. And he came out, and, and five minutes later, the phone rang. And she said, what happened? What happened? He said, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. She said, what? Well, what's going on? He said, I went into the meeting, and the guy gave me a huge handshake. He said, he said, he said Benny, he said, you've had a great season. You've been terrific for me. 
here's, a, here's my letter of recommendation. And then he gave him an envelope. And he said, this is a personal gift for you as well. He came out. He said, I opened the envelope. Guess what's inside? She said, what? What's inside? He said, $450,000. This was a personal gift from this old client of his. And that was able to pay back all of their back tuition and also set aside a nice amount for an upcoming wedding. One of their children was, was, was engaged and to pay for an upcoming wedding. And she said, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I've been working on feeling Hashem's love. But when he called me, she said, that was, it was mind-blowing. She said, yes, it was mind-blowing. Faith Hashem. So let's hope, you know, whoever needs the 450, $450,000, Faith Hashem, you know? can do anything okay so let's ask ourselves another question there are lots of people in our lives that need our love as we mentioned on monday we have co-workers we have parents we have siblings and we might have a husband and children there are certain basis every everybody will get all their brachas and, and 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 the husbands and children that they're waiting for there's so many people that we need to love. How can we help ourselves that we don't turn into schmatters through all of this giving out love? And the answer is that the more I receive my love directly from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the more I will never have to feel empty again. Now this is not something simple. And this is not something that comes naturally to us. Because we don't see Hashem's love. And it's not something that we can recognize. Our physical eyes blind us so that we don't see. And our physical ears deafen us so that we don't hear. And our physical sensations numb us so that we don't actually feel what is really there. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love is always there. But we don't always feel it. There was a book that many of you might have read. And... In it, a young woman describes her near-death experience, her out-of-the-body experience, where she was walking past a construction site one day. A huge, heavy beam fell on her head, and she, had, she experienced clinical death for a short amount of time. Later, her soul came back into her body, and she regained consciousness. But during that time that she experienced her soul hovering in the sky, she said as soon as her soul left her body, she felt it engulfed in a pure feeling of love such as she'd never experienced in her life. Many, many, many accounts of clinical death relate exactly the same experience. That as soon as their souls leave their body, they feel a tremendous feeling of love. That's what the soul feels. And that is what Hashem is always Directing towards us, but our physical bodies hide it from us so that we don't feel that it's there. But it's always there. And after she regained consciousness, one day she found herself in a shul and she opened up a siddur and she read the words, My soul that you placed within me is pure. You breathed it into me. And she said, that's what I experienced. I experienced that Hashem put my body, my soul back into my body. And she became a religious Jew after that experience. But this, the idea I want to share from this is that spiritually, 
We can sense Hashem's love only with our neshamas. We cannot sense it physically with our bodies. And our bodies blind us and numb us to Kodesh Baruch Hu's love, even though it is always there. So we have to use our imagination to feel Hashem's love that's really there because the body hides it from us. So what I'm saying is, I'm going to suggest that we imagine Hashem's love because it really is there, but we can't feel it. So we have to use our imagination to do that. In addition, I want to share with you the words of the Nesiva Shalom in the beginning of the first chilek of Yesodos HaTorah, the foundations of Torah, the foundations of Jewish thought. And he explains the reason why a person who trusts in Hashem receives and lives in a different life of Hashkacha Pratis. He said the explanation of this is a Jew who trusts in Hashem, that Hashem will help him. The source and the root of this trust is because he feels in his heart how great is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for him. That he is like a son to a merciful father who only wants his good in all of his life situations. And the Yid roots and entrenches within his heart the truth that you are Hashem's children. Whether it's before we have sinned or even after Yid has sinned. And that of course the Kaddish Baruch is going to have mercy upon him. Even if he is not fitting and even if he is not worth it. And through this, through this knowing that I am Hashem's child, through I, in rooting within my heart that how much Hashem loves me, through this, also from above, HaKadosh Baruch arouses this, this special behavior towards us. Of Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. As it says in Tehillim. And the Baal Shem Tov. And the Ben Ishchai. And the Gra. They all say on this Pasuk. That just like the shadow. It moves exactly the way that we move. So. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's behavior to us. Is the way that we. Approach our lives down here. And as much as a Yid feels. And in roots in his mind and in his heart. Umetzaya believed, and he imagines within his heart. How much Hashem loves him and how close Hashem is to him. Through this, he draws to him this behavior and this relationship from above. What the Nesiva Shalom here is telling us is that to the extent that we believe and feel Hashem's love for us, to this extent, we will experience Hashem's love for us. If we want to feel Hashem's love in our life, we need to begin by believing it. We need to begin by imagining it. So when I imagine Hashem's love for me, I'm not fooling myself. It really is there. Even if it's not visible, it's hidden in this world. But when I help myself to imagine it and to begin to really feel it, I will actually create that relationship that I'm longing for. The Arachayim explains why was Moshe Rabbeinu Zaycha to a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, that Hashem spoke to him from the snare, from the burning bush, 
Panim el Panim HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke with Moshe Rabbeinu face to face. And the Arachayim explains according to the understanding of this Pasuk that we began with, the Pasuk in Mishle, as water reflects a face to a face, so is one person's heart reflected in another. And the Arachayim explains that Moshe Rabbeinu's love and desire for closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so great that is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded to Moshe Rabbeinu's love with his own loving relationship. With the intensity and the intimacy of the relationship that Moshe Rabbeinu longed, that's what Hashem supplied him with. But Moshe Rabbeinu initiated that relationship through his deep desire and love to experience such a relationship. If he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been zeichet to it. It wasn't that Hashem looked around and said, oh, who's, who, uh, I need somebody, I'm just going to pick somebody to do this job. It was that Moshe Rabbeinu desired and worked and all of his life he put into, how can I love Hashem more? How can I bring out this, how can I be zeichet to such a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu that I can experience closest to a Kaddish Baruch Hu? And through Moshe Rabbeinu creating that within himself, Hashem responded to it. It's up to us. We are now in Chedesh Elo. And Nila Daidi, Vadaidi Li. Now is the time Akarash Baruch is in the field. He wants us to say, Anila Daidi, I am for you, Akarash Baruch. I love you and I want to love you and I want to experience you in my life. Akarash Baruch is in the field. Now is the time, even more than any other time in the year, where where it's easy, it's open. It's, 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 of course, any time a year turns to Hashem and wants to experience the love of Hashem in his life, it's open and available. But there's an even greater hashkacha process, even greater availability at this time of year to enter into a new kind of loving relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And the more that we open up to the Anila Doidi, I am for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm turning my heart towards Hashem in the Panim al Panim. So, as water reflects the face to face, the Kodesh Baruch Hu's panim, his shining panim, his ha'aras upon him, is going to shine back towards us with an outpouring of love that we will begin to experience. And then, once we draw down into our hearts that love of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, we'll begin to experience it and begin to feel it, that we're never alone, that the Kodesh Baruch Hu is always with us in whatever we experience out our life, then we will always have a reservoir a constant flow of love coming into us that we can then direct out to whoever we want to send that love to. We will never run dry. Somebody once asked of Usher Frank how women, people, would come into his house, into his little room, broken, depressed, and they would go out smiling, full of energy. How do you do it, he said. And Rabbi Usher said, there is a well next to me, a deep well of love, of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's love. And whenever somebody comes in, I draw from that well and I give it to that person. This is the eighth of G'dayle Nefesh, of the great-hearted leaders of our, of, of our times, of our generation, of Klal Yisrael, with Zeicha to, to people of massive hearts and massive neshamas. But how did they get so big? Through this, through drawing down the love of Hashem within them and then being able to give of that to other people. And we don't have to be big to do it ourselves but because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is big. And so, the process is 
to, first of all, open up to Kodesh Baruch Hu, that He should send down His love within us. And then once we fill ourselves with the Kodesh Baruch Hu's love, we direct that unconditional love on to whoever we want. And they will understand it and they will give it back to us. The guided imagery that we're going to be doing now is called, unsurprisingly, unconditional love. And in that guided imagery, we imagine Hashem's love coming down to us. Now, everybody experiences love differently. And this is a very important aspect. Some people experience love through physical attention, through hugs. Some people experience love through gifts. Some people experience love through acts of service. There's a book called The Languages of Love. I've never read it. People have told me about it. Which describes various ways that people feel love. It's not, you don't have to read the book. But what I want you to do is think to yourself, what is it that helps you to feel loved? Remember a time when you felt loved by somebody, whether it was your husband or whether it was your parents or whether it was a friend. Was it a gift they gave you? Was it words they said to you? Was it a way they looked at you? Was it something they did for you? Was it just a feeling you had in your heart that they care about you? What was it? Spend some time thinking about it. Because as the Nasiva Shalom is telling us, through imagining it, that's how we're going to get ourselves to feel it. If we, if we can't imagine it, we can't feel it. So we have to come to a certain understanding of how do I personally feel and experience love. And then I have to imagine to myself as if Hashem is sending me the love in that way. One time I, I, I got a, a phone call from a woman. She said to me, Hi, Hinda, what's that guided imagery where, where Hashem sends you chocolates? And I'm, like, I'm trying to rack my brains. What on earth is she talking about? Which guided imagery do I, did I ever make with Hashem sending me chocolate? Now, I'm not averse to Hashem sending me chocolate. As a rabbi, I enjoy when Hashem sends me chocolate, but I don't recall putting it into a guided imagery. And so all of a sudden it hit me that when she was listening to this guided imagery, she was imagining chocolate coming down. And so she was asking me, what was the guided imagery with the chocolate coming down from Shemayim? So if you feel love as Hashem sending you chocolates, wonderful. Another woman said she imagined pink hearts, pink, big pink hearts flying down from Shemayim. It really doesn't matter. And the point here is whatever you do, that's the right thing. And, it, and don't limit it to things that are written in the Siddur or from ideas. We're real people. And our imagination has to make use of your own language of love that speaks to you. So whatever you feel is love, that's what I want you to imagine. And then you imagine Hashem sending down love to you, you're filling up, and then you're sending it off to other people. In the guided image that I'm going to do with you now in class, at the very end, I'm going to say, after you've sent love to those people in your life, I want you to imagine them responding to you and sending love back to you. That line does not appear in the guided imagery in your collection because I hadn't thought of it when I wrote the guided imagery like that. So I want you to add it in for yourself, okay, at the end. Because I think it is an important part, but I hadn't added it in when I recorded it, and so I need you to add that in for yourself, okay? Okay, ladies, sit comfortably with your eyes closed. Breathe deeply. And feel your love, your lungs drawing air 
inside your body. Breathe again and feel that Hashem gives you this breath with great love and compassion. Breathe another time and feel that this breath is absorbed throughout your body, spreading life and giving love to each and every cell. Focus on your in-breath and how you breathe out and feel how this breath is connecting you every second to Hashem the one source of all life and goodness Hashem created the world to reveal his traits of compassion and love in the world. We, his chosen children, are the beloved recipients of that love. He wants us to be like him and love unconditionally. Feel Hashem's unconditional love shining down upon you. His love fills you and surrounds you. Maybe it glows or shines. Maybe it is warm and embracing. Feel his love as only you can feel it for yourself. Store this love inside yourself. Let every single cell fill up with Hashem's love. Let every corner of your mind absorb his love let every aspect of your soul open and receive Hashem's unconditional love 
Now that you are filled with this love, know that nothing you can do will deny you this love. Nothing you do will drain this love. Nothing you do will ever remove any tiny piece of this love. Hashem's love is continually being refreshed. His love is given to you in a constant stream that you do nothing to receive. Every second you receive more and more love. Your deep wellsprings of love are filling and overflowing. Every part of your spirit, soul and self is filled with Hashem's unconditional love. Now think of someone or of people who you want to love unconditionally. If it is a few, group them together before you. Send towards the person or people a concentrated beam of love. Let it be warm. Let it be light. Let it be pure. Let it be unconditional. It does not diminish in any way any of your love stores. The love you send is extra love. You are receiving this moment that comes through you and you direct it onwards to whoever you want. The flow coming to you simply expands. The love you send surrounds the person or people and lights them up. Your love fills, encourages, warms, empowers and builds. Your love strengthens, heals and brings out the best in these people. Your 
unconditional love invests your loved ones with deep feelings of self-worth. Face each person. Hear what each one says as they receive your love. Look at them and notice how they feel, how each one responds to you now. Now, each of those people is sending back to you a pure beam of love. They are responding to your love with their own unconditional love coming back to you. No one is immune to the power of unconditional love. It costs you nothing. It strengthens the likeness of Hashem that pulses within you. Try to give from the wellsprings of unconditional love to all those in your life. Prayers of Hashem over the next days, you will find that you feel more of Hashem's love within yourself. And you will find the ability to give unconditional love to those in your life. When you're ready, open your eyes. Come back and join us on the line. The homework is to begin to listen to this track, Unconditional Love, every day. And anticipate success once a day and unconditional love once a day. So you're listening to two tracks in the day, one in the morning and one at the night, or one in the middle of the day and one at night, however it works for you. I know many, many women around the world who begin their day listening to Unconditional Love and it, they said it, it changes how they respond to their family in the morning, to their husband, to their children, when they begin the day with unconditional love. They find themselves behaving in a more loving fashion. We tune into the loving person that we want to be. 
when we do this. Thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful week. Look forward to joining with you again next week. Be'ez HaShem